protecting the environment is self-care. That's an important part of climate action. The environment isn't just where you go on vacation. So it's the water that you drink, it's the air that you breathe, it's the food that you eat. And there's also a deep spiritual connection that we have with the land and this planet. And of course, so much of what you talk about through movement, but also through yoga is compassion. We have to show compassion for each other and for all beings on this earth, including animals. And uh, we need y'all. <laughs> we need everybody involved, that's for sure. Hi, welcome to The Glow Podcast. My name is Lisa Brooks-Mills. I am so excited to share with you my conversation with Heather White. Heather is an environmental lawyer, writer, consultant, motivational speaker, nonprofit executive, and former Senate staffer. For over two decades, Heather has led organizations to transform environmental overwhelm into consistent, personalized, and positive action. In our conversation, you'll learn about the current state of the climate crisis, COP26, eco-anxiety, and how self-care is an essential part of climate action. You'll also learn how Heather's initiative, OneGreenThing.org, is helping people get involved with helping the planet in a very accessible, meaningful, impactful, and sustainable way by helping us lean into our innate passions, gifts, and interests. I encourage you to visit OneGreenThing.org and take the Service Superpower Assessment to discover your unique role in climate action. You'll find lots of helpful links in the show notes in addition to a playlist of GLOW classes that help you connect with nature through meditation and mindful movement. We are reminded more than ever of our interconnectedness, not only with one another, but with nature and our planet. The earth needs our help and we need her. I think you'll appreciate Heather's hopeful spirit and enthusiasm. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Welcome, Heather White. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm grateful to spend this time with you this early afternoon. As I mentioned, it's a rare rainy day here in Southern California. Happy to have it. As you know, we've been in severe drought, so always grateful when we get some rain. I've enjoyed getting to know a bit about you as I've prepared for our time together, and I'm grateful for the good work you have done for our world, our planet, our environment, and the good work that you continue to do. Um, it seems like you've touched just about every space of the world of environmentalism, from policy to your work at EWG to nonprofits. So I thought we could just start there with learning about your background, when your passion um, began for helping protect our planet and her inhabitants. Oh, Lisa, thank you so much. And thanks so much for the opportunity to spend some time with you today. I grew up in East Tennessee. So I was right next to the Great Smoky Mountain National Park and spent a lot of time in the outdoors growing up. Fortunately, it was an important part of my upbringing with my parents. You know, my earliest memories are hiking with them on the trail or spending time along a river. Um, 
so that was really important to me. And so I was interested in the environment, but also really interested in politics and policy. And fortunately, because of my time outdoors as a young person and my love for, for science, I ended up studying environmental science. And actually, right as I was starting college, a pretty famous Tennessean, a guy named Al Gore, wrote a book called Earth in the Balance uh, when I was a first-year student at the University of Virginia. And that really helped me focus on my work in natural resources and environmental science. So from there, I studied abroad in New Zealand, which was just an amazing experience and got fascinated with nature and wildlife and conservation biology. Mm. I worked on Capitol Hill. I worked for Senator Russ Feingold of Wisconsin, doing his energy and environment work, ran environmental working group as, as its executive director, which had a real focus on environmental health. And that was important because when I was at EWG, I was a young mom, which really is a scary time <laughs> <laughs> to have uh, babies because you start to understand how protecting the environment really is so connected to your health and protecting your health. And then from there, I um, have done consulting and then also ran the nonprofit partner to Yellowstone National Park. So, and then I've launched, as, as, as you well know, a new nonprofit called One Green Thing, and it's at onegreenthing.org, which is all about the intersection between not only the environment and our personal health, but the environment and climate change and our mental health, because more and more that's becoming front and center, especially for Generation Z as they come to age. Great. I, I do want to definitely touch on that later. One more green thing. One green thing? One, one green, green thing. thing. Just one, one green, green thing, thing each day. Yeah. One green thing. And then if you can, one more green thing. <laughs> we'll, yes, we'll exactly. That. It builds. No, that's exactly right, Lisa. It builds. And it builds not so much for your individual carbon footprint, because as we'll dive in later in our discussion, that's it's, 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 we have, I think it's um, 10 companies that are responsible for 35% of the world's global carbon emissions uh, since 1950 and a hundred that are responsible for 70% of those emissions and they're mostly fossil fuel companies. So your individual carbon footprint isn't necessarily important, but your individual behavior and actions and having a daily practice of sustainability can shift the culture. And yes. the culture change is what we need to have these big policy and market solutions work. I really love that. And we'll touch on that more because I think most people think, oh, it's the it's these large corporations. I don't really need to do anything. But I've I've thought of a few things just in my own, you know, looking into my own life of doing one green thing or sometimes one more green thing. Um, and it just it does help with eco anxiety, as you call it, or climate anxiety. And it also could inspire and help bring awareness for those around you, whether you po you know post it in social or those just in your immediate world, your family, your friends they see you doing something that's good for the environment that helps them perhaps feel inspired to then go do something. So it just sort of is contagious in that way. And it also helps Absolutely. You with, with feeling optimistic about the future. Like you feel like you're actually doing something and you are doing something. I think the collective, these little doing some things, right? That collective effort will have its own impact in some way. I mean, can't hurt. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It will, for all the reasons that you mentioned, it helps you personally feel better, which is important, causes that ripple effect, that action of someone may say, hey, you know, why are you using that sustainable brand? Or mm. why are you composting? Or tell me about your container garden? Or tell me about how you make time for nature as part mm -hmm. of your self-care routine every day. I want to learn more. So you can be a leader and model that leadership to your friends but also you're sending a really important signal to markets. And then if you want to go down the ladder of engagement and engage with 
your political officials, call members of Congress, call your city planners, your mayors, you name it, and say, I really, this is really important. We have to have sustainability. Um, you can see the big changes. Yeah. Evolve. Okay. I definitely want to come back to that, but I thought we could start because we're recording this on October 25th. And one week from today begins the United Nations Climate Change Conference, which is COP26, COP meaning Conference of the Parties. Um, and this is the 26th meeting, right? The 26th time they're coming Wait. together. Okay. So um, apparently this will be the biggest summit the UK has ever hosted. It's taking place in in Scotland. Um, and I, I read that it's being described as the most significant climate events since the 2015 Paris Agreement and that they'll be revisiting the Paris Agreement um, and the detailed rules to make it operational. So I just wondered if you could, if you have any insight on what will be happening during this time of, of our leaders coming together and what their goals are. Lisa, it's such a great question, and it's front and center for everyone in this space. And any, everyone listening should follow hashtag COP26 to understand the proceedings as they evolve, because you're absolutely right. This is the most important international conference when it comes to the environment, and I would argue for our shared future as a planet. Yeah. The reason that there's so much energy and focus on COP26 is because we are running out of time. And there's not really a nice or pleasant way to say that. We're running out of time. And actually, I think many people are probably aware in September, the United Nations IPCC, which is the inner panel um, on climate change. So it's basically 1,400 scientists around the world from all the different countries looking at all of the research that we've had on climate change and what we're experience, experiencing have said not only is it unequivocal, that human activity, mostly from our energy choices and burning fossil fuels, is causing global warming, but also that it's code red for humanity. We have to act. So not only will people be focused on making the commitments from the Paris Agreement in 2015, making them a reality, people are going to be very focused on what the United States does, what Russia does, and what China does. Those three big players are very important. And how quickly are they going to get to net zero, which is basically net zero carbon emissions that we'll be taking out as much as we put in by 2050. There are also more and more research is showing that the commitments made in 2015 aren't enough and deep enough for us to limit the carbon pollution and limit the impacts of global warming. And the goal was to 1.5 degrees Celsius by 2050. So we're, we'll, we'll see if there's deeper cuts, bigger commitments. One of the other big things people will be focused on is the climate, what's called the Green Climate Fund. So more developed countries are setting aside $100 billion a year to help other countries make that transition to clean energy. The challenge is, will they actually do it? And is that enough? And are they loans? Are they grants? How is that all going to work? Because as you know, the people who emit the least carbon are the ones who will suffer the most from climate change. Yeah, I was reading about that as well. So this $100 billion to help countries that are most affected. Yeah. And I was thinking too of climate refugees, environmental refugees. Um, this seems to be just a growing thing and the people having to escape their homes because of climate disasters. So these are the folks we're, we're thinking of, right, that are in poorer yes. countries that 
Okay. Yes, they need help to make that transition, but also climate migration is more and more a reality. We've seen just in the last year about 8 million people leave Southeast Asia for Europe and the Middle East because of unpredictable monsoons coupled with droughts. So these extreme weathers that I think at this point, most people in North America are very comfortable, you know, have experienced, I wouldn't say they're comfortable with, but they've seen it. They've experienced, I know in Montana where I live right now, I live with Bozeman, the wildfire season is growing. Mm -hmm. Um, The fires are becoming more intense. You know, we were, our masks for the pandemic served a dual purpose here Mm -hmm. to protect us from the particular matter from the poor air quality, from the wildfires, but also from the pandemic as well. So uh, whether it be floods, whether it be fires, whether it be monsoons, uh, whether it be sea level rise, we're going to experience these dramatic effects. And just as you said, the folks that have the least amount of resources are the ones who are going to need that support for the transition, but also as they move around the globe. Yeah. So I think it's super important we we keep an eye on what's going on this week and then keep an eye on what was decided at the end, what, you know, the end results of what, I mean, I almost wanted to have you on after the fact as well. I'd be happy to, (laughs) absolutely, because this week is an important week because we're also going to be watching Capitol Hill. Joe Biden has done a lot with respect to his executive orders. You know, day one, he issued four executive orders on climate change, which is important. He has an all administration, all hands on deck administration approach to climate change, whether you work for the SEC, whether you work for the Environmental Protection Agency, NOAA, which is a part of commerce, um, you, Treasury. Everyone is supposed to be focusing on the impacts of climate in our future, which is great. So he's using the full force of the presidency to make climate a priority. But of course, in order to have significant support for a transition to clean energy economy, we have to have legislation. So the Build Back Better plan is supposed Mm -hmm. to be on the floor this week. He just said today, which is Monday, October 25th, as Lisa just said, President Biden said he will come to Glasgow with a comprehensive climate package. Um, There is a lot of debate about what will be in the details. It's always in the details, right? right? And what, how big those commitments will be. I have to ask you just being someone that spent so much time in DC and on the Hill, like, is there a little bit of you that's like, I know you're settled in Montana and loving it there, but is there a little bit of you that wants to be in these rooms and in these conversations? Oh, absolutely. It's a, it's a really exciting time. It's also scary, right? Because if we don't get what we need, just like we said before, already scientists in advance of Glasgow are saying the commitments from 2015 aren't enough and aren't fast enough and deep enough. But even getting to those commitments is going to take an incredible amount of political will. I would love to be in those discussions and those meetings because it's so important and it is a make or break moment for us. I think one of the things that's a challenge, especially I have two teenagers that are of focused on climate action. They see this as the number one issue that their generation will face. Mm -hmm. They're also really annoyed with um, baby boomers and Generation X, which I'm a member of, and millennials, because Gen Z seems to get a lot of accolades and aren't you so organized and you all are smart and great and they keep telling me we don't have enough time you can't wait for us to be in charge we need to see real action so i think on one level we all know we need bold decisive big action especially from the major economic forces in the world we also know that there's no such thing as perfection and we need to celebrate progress so i think 
It'll be interesting to watch the messaging and what comes out of COP26. Bold action versus progress over perfection, moving the needle, but we know it's not enough. I think um, I would I would encourage listeners and people who are following discussion to look at that pretty closely. Okay, that's a great takeaway. And we'll, we'll I'll include these in the show notes, the, the links to everything that you're great in the, the hashtag and everything. Um, I just thought we could spend just a quick moment on 350.org and just what they're all about and then also um, how we've gone above the 350 yes. mark. So if you could just share a little bit on, on that, that would be great. Sure. So 350.org is run by a, a luminary in the climate space named Bill McKibben. Encourage folks to focus on 350.org. It's an international organization. I think it's 10, it may be 12 years old, but uh, initially Bill founded this organization because of the concern of reaching 350 parts per million of of atmospheric carbon dioxide, which was a uh, wake up call and huge alarm that we needed to curb global warming as soon as possible. Uh, What's happened since, as I think we all know the story hasn't gotten much better. And in fact, we reached a record 421 PPMs this April. And and that was usually Mauna Loa in the United States. That's in Hawaii, an observatory there. They've been measuring atmospheric carbon dioxide since the 1950s. So we've seen the highest level recorded um, uh, CO2 um, uh, level of 421 parts per million. So we are at Code Red and it is time for huge action. 350.org will be present in Glasgow. Mm. They do a lot of direct actions. And I think um, that's one of the things we'll talk a little bit about later, Lisa, is my book, mm-hmm. One Green Thing, and it's called Discover Your Hidden Power to Help Save the Planet. I think so many people are waking up to the climate emergency. They want to be part of it, but they're not really sure where they fit in. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where my book comes in, where you can do almost like a strengths finder about what are your skills and service. And I can help, help match you up with activities, a one green thing to do each day, but also organizations that might connect with you. So if you're an activist, if you're someone who's really comfortable with that title, mm-hmm. <laughs> 350.org is for you. They have great policy papers, but also they provide direct actions for you to go protest, for you to call members of Congress, for you to engage with the United Nations, for you to do online campaigns and also show up places, which is really important. For some folks, that might be a little bit too much for them. Maybe they rather, you know, um, read a white paper and write an op-ed, you know, it just depends on what your scale of engagement is. But 350.org is focused on um, international climate action right away. And they'll be very present at the Glasgow. And presumably if that 421 was in April, now we're six months after that point right now. So we are. Presumably yes. That yes. It's gone up. And, and what the reason that, you know, I was saying as we're, as we're going into Glasgow, scientists are saying the cuts that were promised in 2015 aren't fast enough. It's because it looks like we will have seen a 16% increase this year with CO2 emissions. So we haven't been curbing right. the emissions like we were hopeful. Like, and in fact, what I'm saying is that the opposite has happened. They've increased rather than than flatlined. So I think um, we're going to see a lot of focus on that. And I actually founded One Green Thing on April 21st, Mm. just as we hit that record number, April 21st, 2021, because I realized that we need to get as many people as possible involved in this movement. Mm -hmm. And we need to help you as a concerned citizen figure out 
what your superpowers are and how you can apply it into the climate movement. Because I think a lot of people, that's where they get a little stuck. Like I care, I know I should care. Mm -hmm. I'm super busy. What can I do? How can I make a difference? And that's where I hope the book and the organization can provide that service to folks. Uh, I can't. Okay. I'm really excited to get into this because um, maybe we could just dive into it now, actually, just sure. because I've had so many, you know, friends feel like this, it's debilitating. They feel paralyzed. They don't know what to do. And so to your point, your site and your book, this, this is accessible. It helps with attainable goals. You feel like you're a part of this mission to heal our planet. You feel like you're doing something. And again, as you said earlier, inspiring other people to do so. It's funny, whenever I hear um, someone say, like, I feel there's nothing I could do. Who am I? What can, what can I do to help with this huge, you know, this huge issue that feels just so big? Um, and I have this post. I don't know where it came from, but I, I shared it on Instagram several months ago. It says, I'm just one person, said 7 billion people. Right. <laughs> and it's like that always inspires me to think, yes, we are just what we are just one person. But look at the collective. Look at all of us together and how powerful that is. And we've seen people come together and to get through um, different crises. And, and it's amazing what happens when we can come together. It's really powerful and magical. So why don't we? Amen. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I, I'm really excited. So I have been on your site, One Green Thing, and I. Um, so it's onegreenthing.org, first of all, um, mm -hmm. tackling eco-anxiety and overwhelm. And I took the service superpower assessment um, and I found it really helpful. So what's great is you learn about your profile once you finish the assessment and then there are action ideas to support the profile. So it sounds like in the book, you're just going in deeper and broader on all of this, which is which is amazing. Exactly. And so I... Um, I also felt like as I was taking it the first time, so the first time I, I ended up with the sage, mm -hmm. um, and, but as I was taking it the first time, there were a couple where I was like, mm, I'm kind of this and I'm kind of mm -hmm. that too. And so I went through and took it a second time. And so on the second go, I was the philanthropist. So I felt like that really aligned perfectly with my superpowers, as you say. So maybe you just want to touch on how the service superpower assessment came to be because I think it's a super helpful tool. Oh, yes. Thank you so much, Lisa. What a great question. And I love that you're a philanthropist sage. So actually, as part of the book launch, I'm going to update the assessment where you can see your top two. Oh, cool. I think it'd be interesting to see the first time you took it, you might have been a sage philanthropist versus a philanthropist sage. So yeah. I have seven different service superpowers. There's six on the website, but I'm unveiling a new one as nice. part of the book. And you kind of think of it as like an Enneagram uh, for service. Who are you? How do you show up when people are in need? Are you a giver, which is what a philanthropist is? I know it's a big term, but I want people to feel really comfortable with that term. You don't have to be a billionaire <laughs> to be a philanthropist. It basically means you show up through giving. That's how you um, show up in service. For other people, they're sages, and a sage is someone who is focused on the spiritual connection to nature and focused on community in that spiritual sense, given your focus on self-care and wellness and yoga and overall well-being, that does not surprise me at all, uh, Lisa, that you would have a sage tendency. Then there's also the wonk. And this is someone who is, you know, loves numbers and policy and science and can also operationalize ideas. And that's someone who, for example, showing up in service, you know, might do research about where you need to get the best care, or let me tell you about this 
fantastic recipe that's going to help make you feel better or have you tried the supplement that would be a wonk uh, then there's also the influencer and that's a person who's all about people all about people all of the time and wants to share and shows up through connections with others uh, and then there's also the spark and mm -hmm. that's someone who and this is really an important uh, role in leadership the spark is and that's the person who's ready to raise their hand and say i'm in Mm -hmm. <laughs> the person who's if a friend says hey do you want to check out this lecture or watch this documentary with me or let's go to so-and-so's house or do you want to try this hike that is an important role in service because without the spark there is no movement but you can take your service uh, superpower assessment and see what you are and how you show up in the world and then there is a plan of action for you and with our email list and and over time you'll see we're going to have more detailed um, by profile emails for folks for ideas of how they could get involved. And then another step is organizations that you can support. Obviously, we love people to support onegreenthing.org, but we also see ourselves as a hub for folks, for example, if you're an influencer, you really might like to um, check out Global Green, which has a lot of influencers in the space of conservation. If you are uh, focused on um, uh, I will tell you that the new service superpower that I'm launching is called the beacon and mm -hmm. the beacon is the person who's kind of at the podium or ha behind the, the megaphone, who is all out front and organizing people. 350.org would be a great organization for you. If you're a beacon, if you're someone who's a philanthropist, you might enjoy the national park foundation. And that is an organization that raises money for public lands uh, or a local land trust. If you're a sage, there's a wonderful organization called Interfaith Power and Light that is an interdenominational, um, and not just interdenominational interfaith group that's trying to get um, religious organizations around the world to focus on the importance of climate action and climate justice cool. is one of their big focus. So that's just an example of what we offer at One Green Thing and also how the book will just take a deeper dive. There's a lot of journaling prompts, a lot of exercises that ask you not only who are you when you show up for service? How do you want to apply it in this context? But also ask you questions like, what do you want your legacy to be? Mm. How are you going to be a good ancestor? And so I ask you in the book to think about things like, is there someone in your family who you didn't know who created an incredible opportunity for you? And is there someone who's not in your family that you never met? You know, maybe it's Susan B. Anthony, maybe it's Martin Luther King, maybe it's Harvey Milk. You know, is there someone that you've never met who created incredible opportunities for you? And then there's an exercise where you sit down 50 years from now with a mm -hmm. teenager who's related to you somehow, and you are their ancestor. What are they going to thank you for? What are they going to wish you had known? And so just, it's a very, um, it's definitely kind of a self-help book yeah. <laughs> when it comes to the environment. And I think the the reason I'm excited about it in the publisher, um, Harper Horizon, which is an imprint of Harper Collins is too, is because people want to be involved, but they're not yeah. really sure how that, that feeling you're talking about friends and colleagues saying, well, I'm just one person, but also I don't have a PhD in atmospheric science. I haven't worked on Capitol Hill. Right. Where, what is my role? And not only can you have a role, we need you to have a role because the climate movement needs everyone. We need everyone and we need you to come as you are. You're welcome as you are. And one green thing, our mission and my personal mission is try to help you find out what your role is and how you can contribute in a way that works for you and moves the needle for all of us.
That's so beautiful. I'm excited for this book. Oh my goodness. And one of the things I was thinking of, it really helps you lean into what's already innately inside of you. Like you're not asking for like a degree in, you know, environmental law or something like just really lean into what you already have, which is beautiful. Absolutely. I think of like what you're doing at Glow, Lisa, is making sure people know that protecting the environment is self-care. That's an important part of climate action. The environment isn't just where you go on vacation. That's right. So it's the water that you drink. It's the air that you breathe. Mm -hmm. It's the food that you eat. And there's also a deep spiritual connection that we have with the land and this planet. And of course, so much of what you talk about through movement, but also through yoga is compassion. We have to show compassion for each other and for all beings on this earth, including animals. And Mm -hmm. uh, we need (laughs) y'all. We need everybody involved. That's for sure. One of the things I love to say is take care of yourself because our world needs you. And the whole premise is you're sort of no good to, to yourself or anyone, let alone our planet, if you're, you know, not taking good care of yourself, essentially. So yeah, yes. I think I think there is certainly at Glow we celebrate our interconnectedness with nature, our that we are truly a part of nature. We are nature, you know. There's no point mm-hmm. where our earth ends and we begin, just this intrinsic connection. Um and we hear statements like the healthier our ecosystem, the healthier the planet and its people and all of its inhabitants. But I, I'd like to add, I always think about well, the extension of that to me in some ways. The healthier the people, the healthier the planet, because the healthier we are, we take care of ourselves, prioritize our wellness, and help other people and help the planet. So we need you to take care of yourself so that you can help us take care of the planet. That's beautiful, Lisa. And I think it's essential. And one of the things I write about in the book is for every profile, I have suggestions on ways to restore and replenish Mm -hmm. because the work of climate action It is uh, often depressing and hard, especially Mm -hmm. when you're talking about the importance of self-care, when we're thinking about compassion and self-compassion, but also thinking about climate justice. Mm. The more you learn about environmental degradation, the more you realize that it's Black, Indigenous, people of color, and underserved communities that are hit the hardest, not only globally, but locally. I mean, everything from access to, to natural areas, BIPOC communities, generally do not have as much access as more affluent white communities. And it's not just socioeconomic, it is based on race. So everything from from natural cooling areas to natural places and parks to um, where facilities are located that manufacture fossil fuels and chemical processing, those are mostly in BIPOC communities. So the more aware you become, the more challenging it is to break it down into smaller pieces <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because it can be overwhelming, but also that need for um, self-care becomes even more critical. I'm so glad that you touched on that because it can feel so overwhelming. So to approach it in, in a sustainable way so that you're not getting run down, depleted, and then met with some chronic health condition where then again, you're not able to get up and, and help with activism or whatever it is that calls to you. And I was thinking too, as you know, looking through your website and listening to what you're saying that there's a different, perhaps a different superpower for different seasons of your life, but not even of your life in terms of 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and so on, but even of your life during the year. Yes. For some part of your year, you may be 
overwhelmed and in, in having to help oversee a family crisis. So your needs mm-hmm. and energy has to go there. And so mm-hmm. maybe you meditate in nature today, as you yes. said, just to connect with nature. And, and then maybe once you've seen yourself through that moment, that season, if you will, and you're starting to get some strength back, now I'm able to attend this rally or in this lecture and learn more and rally friends and go clean up wetlands or whatever it is. I, I think that's another beautiful thing is that we're always evolving and changing and growing. And so with that, you know, the superpowers will also change as, as we're changing, so to speak. Absolutely, they will. And I think the important thing and the focus of the book is that it's a daily practice Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about in yoga of having your practice, mm-hmm. but having a daily practice of sustainability can give you that joy. It can give you that sense of purpose and it all counts. Yeah. Whether it is just like you said, you know, protesting or testifying before Congress or testifying before your local zoning board or meditating or even spending time with a pet that you love mm-hmm. or going outside with a a, a a loved one, you know, that all counts. And the reason it counts is because we need that culture change. We need people, if more and more people have this daily practice of sustainability and that intention, mm-hmm. just like an intention for meditation or intention for any other type of practice makes a difference with the change that we need to see to get that support for these big, big decisions and policies we need at a global level. Yeah, I love this. It also takes the pressure off, you know, To think like, look, I don't have to rise up every day and be a part of some big initiative. It can be, it can be small and that's okay. And to be easy on ourselves. And there may come a day where you can give more and that's great too. It's just the point of doing something, which I think is really important. Absolutely. And what matches your interests and your, your personality too. So that's one of the things that I think we've seen over the last 20 years in the environmental movement is that the environmental movement used to be pretty siloed as far as there were the climate people, there were the wildlife people, there were the water people, there's the energy people, and now, uh, and there's the environmental justice people. And now it's all, all those silos are breaking down and it's all climate action. But if you're passionate about water quality and environmental health, there is a role for you in the environmental movement. You know, if you're passionate about species extinction, you're passionate about animal welfare, if you're passionate about, you know, veganism and factory farming and there's, or its impact, or on the flip side, regenerative agriculture and how livestock grown responsibly and ecologically can really make a huge difference in, in, in climate and is an important climate solution and soil health, you can do that. So whatever your interest is, there is a role for you to play. And just like you said, Lisa, you don't have to, even though I did and it was super fun. You know, I started my own nonprofit. You don't have to start your own nonprofit. You can write a check. You can do an online petition. And then from there, you might become more involved. You might want to read a book. You might want to host a a viewing party, even if it's on Zoom because we're in a global pandemic, you know, uh, for a documentary. Or you might decide, I'm going to run for Congress. You you never know where following your passion can take you. And I just want to make sure that as an environmental community, and I think that we've left a lot of talent on the table, but not by not being as inclusive as we can be. Mm, That's a really good point. Okay, this is so helpful. I love that it is becoming more accessible because you're right. There were these sort of silos and now it is becoming easier, so to speak, which is really great. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's awesome. Do you mind sharing a little bit of the seven principles of, of One Green Thing? 
Sure. Because absolutely, I, I, I know I, I was reading. I know I, I know we wanted to touch on to your post about courage, but yeah, let's yeah, just, let's and touch we can on... talk a little bit more about eco anxiety too, because I think yes. I think it's uh, it just was defined by the Oxford Dictionary, so it's official. You know, even though psychologists have been talking about it for a long time, we are seeing that eco anxiety is becoming something that's acknowledged that people are experiencing because. Um, it's inescapable, you know, uh, whether or not you've experienced a natural disaster yourself, or if you are a young person and you're worried about the future that you're inheriting, we are seeing more and more mental health impacts of anxiety over the future as it manifests in climate change. So in those kind of three principles of eco-anxiety, I call it the eco-anxiety trifecta, we're seeing just more overall generalized anxiety mm -hmm. with young people and Generation Z or children born after 1997. We're also seeing a hyper awareness of the world's problems. So a lot of our conversation on social media, especially when we're talking about teens and young people, tends to be more like Lisa was at this party, but Heather didn't get invited and she was wearing this cute outfit. I think as grownups, that's what we think young people are saying. Uh, but a lot of times they're sharing, did you see this article? Did you see flooding in Sacramento and the biggest mm -hmm. rainfall day in San Francisco? Did you see this, the wildfires in Oregon where, you know, 500,000 people were under evacuation orders? Did mm -hmm. you see this monsoon in Bangladesh? Did you hear about the family that drowned in New Jersey in their basement apartment because of flooding from Hurricane Ida? You know, it just, they are, they have a hyper awareness of what's going on and what's wrong with the world through social media. And then the third is loneliness. And this was before the pandemic. Um, Cigna did a research that said Gen Z, eight out of 10 young people experience feelings of loneliness, mm -hmm. whereas five out of 10 baby boomers do. So we have a situation where young people are more lonely than the elderly. So those kind of three issues coming together form and drive eco-anxiety. And I think that we need to have more conversations about climate change about intergenerational partnership and about climate action as families, as um, communities, in order to help these young people know that it's not all on their shoulders. Wow. Well, we're, yeah. It's we're, a lot. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot, right? It's a lot. Well, I was really taken by, I really love the articles that you have on your website. And I was pulled into the one on courage because it does take courage. As you say, it takes courage to be an optimist. It does. And you and as we're looking at this, as you say, like it's code red. Yeah. This is a serious time. There's a lot to look at. There's a lot to consider on top of the anxiety and, you know, all of these different folks that are affected. It's a lot and it can feel it can feel overwhelming. But the one thing on courage, I love that it takes courage to be an optimist. And then I love the the Maya Angelou quote quote that you have there. You develop courage by doing small things. Like just as if you wouldn't want to pick up a hundred pound weight without preparing yourself. Yes. And I, I think that's so important. And, and even linking into self-care, like you want to prepare yourself and have these little daily doses of going within to sort of settle in, in looking inside yourself to grow awareness, to gain some reflection. Okay. What can I do today to participate? What can I do today to give back? Exactly. I think that the metaphor was self-care because it goes hand in hand is right there. It takes courage to be an optimist. I also love Gretchen Rubin of the Happiness Project has a fun quote that says, 
enthusiasm is an act of social courage. So not only like to be apt, optimistic and enthusiastic, is That's also, a good point. <laughs> it takes a lot of courage, but you, you break it down into smaller pieces. And that's, you know, it's interesting living with two teenagers because I'm surrounded by truth tellers and they always tell me, you know, like they see it and they're like, you know, skipping the straw isn't going to solve climate, the climate crisis. Well, of course it's not. Right. But by sending signals to your local cafe, to your friends that are hosting a party in a nice, respectful way, yeah. can change people's behavior. And we have to have the behavior change because a lot of the markets are responding to what our demands are. Not all of them, mm -hmm. but a lot of them are. And certainly politicians are. So breaking this down into smaller pieces is really important. And taking the first step is important. And then keeping that habit and that routine of the daily practice and I think that self-care, I, I would say that self-care and climate action are one and the same. Mm -hmm. And that every now and then you have to, you know, take a time out and make sure that you're doing enough self-care to sustain the climate action because yeah. the climate action can be a bit overwhelming. But I think that it is not a big leap for someone who is focused on the wellness community and really engaged in their self-care to make that extra leap to call a member of Congress and say what they think or show up at a town hall or write um, an op-ed for a paper or take time out and meditate in nature. You know, the whole spectrum counts. Yeah. And, you know, I had a thought as you were mentioning the straws because what we think, it's so funny we get trapped in the, well, I think everyone thinks the way I think, you know, they, we just make yes. that assumption automatically. And I remember hosting a party where I had all, you know, all the all the good eco-friendly products to sure. serve and you know to me it's an of course type of thing it, it makes sense but some folks they were so inspired by it asking me questions and then I had the thought later I thought you know for every person that that commented or asked me a question there were probably five or six or more that that had the thought but then didn't just didn't take the time to verbalize it and say you know I'm really glad that you had this this inspired me and so I, I always think about how we're influencing people. We don't always maybe know about it. We're not always necessarily aware of it because they're not verbally giving us the cues that that's the case. But there is that ripple effect where if we do one good deed, it's gonna someone's going to take notice, even if it's one person, that they then go on to influence one other person. There is that beautiful sort of mystery of the ripple effect to how we're, you know, we are all connected and how we're impacting one another. Yes, absolutely. We are all connected and we are impacting one another. And I love that example. I have a similar example. And that is, you know, I did a really simple post about cloth napkins. And, um, you know, several of my friends in the green space lovingly rolled their eyes at me. Right. Because like, you know, everybody knows about cloth napkins, Heather. It's not, you know, this isn't a revolutionary concept. And how is cloth napkins going to save the, the, you know, save the planet? Well, it's not. But it's that intention. It's that signal. But I'll tell you, one of my friends was completely inspired by it. And she See? said, you know what, I'm going to stop using paper towels. Right. And what she felt, and I think this is important for all that we do in the space, especially when it comes to the environment and conservation, is she felt welcome. She felt like there was something that she could do and she was invited to be part of it. And now she is, she would consider herself an environmentalist, but that small act led her on a path of engagement where she takes climate action very seriously 
and is excited about being part of the environmental community. And I think that's one of the things that the wellness community could help the environmental community. Um, we could learn from the wellness community. I think they're kind of related in my, my, my mm -hmm. mind, but I feel like the wellness community has done a lot to try to help people feel welcome. And the environmental community needs to do that. I think a lot of people are afraid of doing sustainability wrong. Oh, you know, I put my recycling in the wrong bin, so therefore I can't do anything. Or, you know, I have a fancy expensive car that's not a Tesla, so I'm out. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I can't be one of you. And that's not how it that's not how it works. We need everybody. Yeah. So and we need everybody to bring their best thinking and we need everybody to be mindful and we need everybody to take action, but not everybody is going to be vegan yeah. right away, you know, and not everyone is going to spend $30,000 putting solar panels on their house. That is not what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, right. like, you know, what we need is policy action so we can all afford, you know, clean energy. And it's just part of our, you know, how we live and not something that we personally have to make these huge investments in. Yeah. So it's almost like the perfectionism could be paralyzing. Like, oh, if I can't yes. attain this and I might as well not do anything kind of an attitude. Yeah. Okay. So Lisa, that is so great. I have a section in my book about that where oh, I great. say, you know, climate action is not about perfectionism. It is it can about- look messy. Yeah. It's messy. <laughs> it, it probably should look messy. It is messy. Yeah, absolutely. I do not have a hybrid car. I'm saying this on your podcast. <laughs> I do not have a hybrid. I have a Subaru. I live in Montana. It's not a hybrid, but my next car will be, and I'm saving for it and doing that, but I walk a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not vegan, but I don't eat much meat and I don't eat much dairy, but it's not an all or none thinking. But yeah. when I do, when I go meatless, I'm glad I do. And I say a little intention and say, okay, earth, I feel, I feel good about this. Yeah. And it's not just about feeling good. And, you know, it's not just about performative environmentalism, but I will say research says that performative environmentalism does make an impact. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so there's this great article in the Atlantic that says that, you know, carrying your reusable bags and reusable mugs and having a party with sustainable products, just like you experienced, Lisa, does make an impact and does yeah. have a ripple effect. So I think let's let go of perfection. Let's find out what your unique skills are. Let's figure out how you can show up, how you want to show up in the community and please be part of it because we need you. That's great. Yeah, because your first, the principle, number one principle is, oh, yes. No, you can't go it alone. You can't go it alone. We have to yeah. have community. We have to have everyone together working forward. And what we see is that we can turn the energy of anxiety into a force of good. Mm -hmm. We can use our anxiety and make it a good anxiety to, to, to propel action and connect with others. And the second principle of One Green Thing is think beyond your age. And this is what I was mentioning earlier, this idea of what type of ancestor do you want to be? What type of planet are we living to, you know, leaving to future generations? We also need to be an intentional in our conversations with young people about what we've experienced and what we've overcome. A lot of them feel very hopeless, Lisa. They are just like, you know, what's the point? You know, mm -hmm. the, the earth is going to be uninhabitable by 2070 anyway. I mean, really, I've had conversations with teenagers that say that. And we need to say, no, 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 no. We have seen social changes that we could not have imagined growing up, right. whether it's civil rights, whether it's 
the emphasis for equality, whether it's transgendered issues, and obviously there's been huge backlashes, but we've seen tremendous progress. We've also seen progress when it came to the Cold War mm -hmm. and the nuclear freeze movement. I mean, the Cold War didn't just end. There were people standing up saying, we've got to stop the arms race. And when I was growing up, we were afraid, we hid under our desks because there, we thought there was going to be an atomic bomb, mm -hmm. which of course is ridiculous because how is that going to protect us right. from an atomic bomb dropped by the Russians? But still, we have overcome big, huge issues and kids have experienced anxiety before. You know, I can't imagine what it was like, you know, growing up being a teenager in World War II and being drafted. I mean, we have, we've overcome a lot, but we need to have intentional conversations with Generation Z so they have some type of hope. And so they also know that it's not on their shoulders. I mean, I think a lot, if you follow Greta Thunberg, you'll hear a lot of what other young people are thinking of, like, there's no climate leaders, you're not taking action, we're going to have to clean up your mess. Mm -hmm. And we need to say, no, we're here. We also need to educate you. them that sometimes it's not that easy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. There isn't a magic wand. It does take a lot of hard work and a lot of conversation, and a lot of compromise to get the change that you need. But ultimately, we can get there. So that's principle number two. Would you like me to continue? I know. I was just looking at them thinking like, oh, yeah. maybe we could just briefly touch on the others. And I mean, sure. if, if you'd like, yeah. Sure. So the other ones are, are kind of like subject matters, right? Mm -hmm. The third is to see energy in a new light. Just think about your energy choices and do all that we can to push for clean energy. Um, the fourth is understand you are what you eat and to, you know, connect how our food is grown and by whom and with what chemicals and what practices and how that impacts the earth. Then there's protect the source, which is about, of course, water quality and quantity. Uh, we have experienced tremendous droughts and also have huge pressures on our water systems around the world. Um, then there's vote with your wallet, which is to choose green brands and, and support sustainability through the marketplace. And then finally, it's to love your mother. And then I put in parentheses, earth and make time for, for nature and protect wildlife. And those are the, the seven principles that we stand for. And you also see them in the book as a way to think about how you might want to organize your one green things, because you don't have to do it all. Like you were saying, Lisa, right? Yeah. right? So like maybe your passion is um, public lands. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there's opportunities for you to do a one green thing each day in public lands, or maybe you're fascinated by clean energy. I mean, maybe you really are. I mean, I love teasing people who are passionate about clean energy because it's very wonky, but it's so important. But maybe solar is your reason to get up in the morning or maybe it's not. Maybe it's a hobby, but there's great opportunities, whether it's vote solar, whether it's supporting natural resources, defense council, whether it's supporting a local um community solar garden or trying to get one started in your neighborhood. There's all kinds of great opportunities. So many great things. And I am such a big pollinator person. Like I feel like po our pollinators are our little superheroes. And I love that more people are leaning into wild gardens. So there's an initiative. I can't remember what county or state, but they're hoping that folks will at least keep a third of their garden wild for our pollinators. That would be great. It's better than none. Oh, I, I just got back from Portland and mm. I saw all kinds of great gardens in Portland that had no grass in the front lawn, awesome. all wildflowers yeah. and, you know, native plants there. So you're absolutely right. But that trend is important because it's important for bees and yes. butterflies and all of our pollinators. The National yeah. Wildlife Federation also has a fun program where you can become a certified backyard habitat for different wildlife based on your area. So that's a great resource, too. I'll make sure I give that to you oh, so you can please. put it in the notes, Lisa. Okay. Okay, yeah, I love that. Thank you. Um, 
So this has all been super helpful. Small actions added up make a difference. They inspire others. And, and as we mentioned earlier, they help us feel less anxious and more hopeful. So I think that's great. I'd like to touch on just a bit, little bit more about our connection to nature, our connection to the planet, because I feel like we've really seen it, especially in terms of COVID. I mean, it's just such a great example of how we literally all are connected and that climate knows no borders. We truly are all connected. And I wanted to touch on pandemics, like we might be potentially seeing more of these come up. So if you could speak to that a little bit um, about what's possible and that we should just be informed and prepared rather than scared, but just, I think, you know, knowledge is power. Absolutely. So first, with respect to the wildlife connection, nature connection, and more pandemics. So zoonosis is the transfer of a disease found in wildlife that goes to humans, and it's becoming much more common. We've seen that it is linked to um, many times the endangered species trade and also the reduction of wildlife habitat. So there's not as much space between humans and wildlife anymore because the habitat is being destroyed. There's a wonderful book that I highly recommend by a Bozeman writer, David Quammen. He's often in The New Yorker. He's written a book called Spillover about these pandemics that we're seeing that are connected first starting in wildlife. Swine flu was a good example that end up in humans. So we're likely to see more of these pandemic experiences. And just like you said, Lisa, so insightful and true, this experience shows we are biologically, ecologically, and economically tied. Yeah. All of us around the world. The... I'm trying to find if there's like, is there a bright light from COVID? <laughs> I think the the only like glimmer, it's not a bright light. The only glimmer of COVID is that we did see when we had in March 2020, the lockdowns, mm -hmm. we did see a reduction in carbon emissions. It was the biggest reduction since World War II of carbon emissions because so much stopped right when we locked down from March, April, May in 2020. We also saw people sacrifice and we saw big, big changes happen fast. So I think I would say, of course, it all fell apart, especially if you live in Montana. <laughs> I would not say we have we have made, we have not maintained a, a compassionate uh, we're all in this together response by any means. Would say, though, that those those 90 days showed us that if we have the political will and we have the cultural will, we can make big changes fast for the greater good. Yeah. How we sustain it is a whole nother thing, which I'm sure there's going to be like 5,000 books about, you mm -hmm. know, released mm -hmm. <laughs> next year about that. But I, uh, so we're going to see more of these. We just need to be prepared for it. We need to understand we're all connected, but we also need to understand that, the, that it is possible. Change is possible. We can make these big global changes fast if we need it. It would be better if we came out of COP26 next week with strong commitments that were doable, but also scientifically justified in getting the reductions that we need in time so we don't have to do it yeah. like we did with COVID, Right. that we can plan for it. Yeah. A couple of things came to mind. Just Well, first of all, being in LA, um, 
you know, it was just so beautiful being able to look up and not seeing any planes. And then when they started up again, just seeing, you know, a, a few, because you can start where I am, um, you can start to see them line up, you know, for LAX and it's, it's a big hub there. But um, I also felt like that time, and we, we heard a lot of this message around that time where it was forcing people to pause and reflect. And so I think there there's something good there, you know, in terms of, I think a lot of people recognized it, it offered an opportunity to slow down, connect with nature and look within. And certainly not for every single person, but I suspect a lot of people, that's one of the things that was, was on their mind. Like, wow, look at how the planet has, it has been able to sort of even start to heal itself a little bit just in that moment, even though it was just a pause. But, um, I guess I'm just thinking too of folks that are all the scientists, you know, almost capitalizing on that moment of what everything that was to learn and gain from that, from that pause, that collective pause. Yes. And I'd like to know what the psychologists saw too. Mm. You know, we've seen things, I've seen a lot of articles about the great resignation, mm. people rethinking what is it I'm going to do with my one wild and precious life, like Mary Oliver says, right. you know, what, understanding of 700,000 people who've passed away in America alone, just it's, it's hard to even imagine that scale of death and loss. So I think people are doing a big assessment about what do I want my life to be? How can I shape it? And they know it can be different. So I think that's important. I know for me, time in nature was really, has been really important through the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I'm fortunately blessed to live in Montana. So it's, very easy for me to get out to incredible wild places. But even walks outside in a local park, even looking up, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, Anne Lamont says the secret to life is to look up. Mm. <laughs> Just look yes. up for a few minutes. You know, research shows that even five minutes outside can lower your cortisol levels, the stress hormones. So I think we have seen people appreciate nature more. It's been part of their wellness strategy to handle the pandemic. It's also something that you can do with other people being outside. So I think that that's been important. And I love what you're talking about, seeing even with this pause in nature, being able to heal itself. You know, in, in Barcelona, wild boars are coming down you know, right. into, yeah. into the community. Yeah. Uh, we saw you know, wildlife start to rebound, which yeah. was an important way for us to understand. I think our role is that nature can heal itself, but we have to give its time, its time and space. And also the understanding that the planet's going to be okay. The question is, will we be? Right. Yes. And it, what are we willing to change to make sure we will be okay? Right. It's funny. A couple of things came to mind. So when you just said that, I was thinking about, you know, when we go to heal our bodies, when our bodies are facing some type of illness, usually it's just get out of its way. You know, the body will innately know what to do to heal itself. I mean, sometimes you might have to take a few things to help it along its way, some herbs or something. But um, yeah, if we can just rest and take the time to restore, the body will innately know what to do to heal itself. And then same with the planet, right? It knows what to do. We just need to get out of its way um, and certainly remove remove some of the carbon emissions. But yeah. yeah, it definitely knows what to do to heal itself. I always also was thinking about our connection to nature and how when we create connections to things, we start to care for things and we protect the things we care about. 
And so just that through line of, of, yeah, making a commitment, a part of a wellness routine to have a daily connection with nature, even if it is on a busy day and you're just able to sit next to a plant in your home. Yes. Yes. The smallest thing. The smallest thing makes a difference. I love what you said. I immediately thought of the little prince. It's mm. the time that you spend with your rose. You know, what we connect to, we we care for and we protect. And understanding it's also not about perfection. Taking care of your plants, they also improve the air quality in your house. So it's a health benefit to spend time with plants, spending time outside. It does matter, just so you know, the literature does show that signing those online petitions from all those environmental groups do make a difference. <laughs> I know when I worked on the Hill, my boss, who was a senator, wanted to know how many emails he received on what topics, you know, pro and con oh, cool. for different things and through what organizations. So that does make a difference. Time with other people, talking about climate change, talking about the environment, that matters. Obviously, voting for candidates, that matter. But I think the importance that you were saying is that um, thinking about a daily practice of sustainability, small or large, in whatever area that you're passionate about, is an important part of wellness. And I think that there's opportunities from, as I've said before, our community to learn from the wellness community to welcome more people, but also for wellness to see environmental activism be part of self-care. Beautiful. Yes. Um, I was just going to add that, um, I don't know if many people know our why statement at GLOW, so I thought I'd share that. Um, we connect people through self-care so that we can heal ourselves and our planet. And again, I love that. the premise there, yeah, is just, you know, that if the work that we do as individuals on ourselves is going to have an impact on those around us, and then obviously on the planet, the whole statement celebrates our, our interconnectedness. And then with that, we look forward to soon integrating a, a component into GLOW that will give back to the planet. So I had this thought when I would do any type of neighborhood cleanups, I'm typically picking up things that are a packaging that's not good for the body, you know, Dorito bags or beer cans or cigarette butts or things of this nature. And it just got me thinking that perhaps folks that are doing taking steps to take care of themselves i.e. eating you know vegetables and things that really nurture and care for their body um, are maybe taking care of the planet in a different way where you trash your body you trash the planet it sort of goes it, it could potentially go hand in hand so to speak I think that's so powerful and also uh, one of my friends Chris Carr, who I highly mm -hmm. recommend following. She's um, in the documentary Crazy Sexy Cancer, and she talks about her cancer experience and how going vegan really helped her with her um, wellness and healing process. She it, uh, talks about how the body mirrors the earth, and she thinks about when you look at pictures of the lungs, they look like trees. When right. she talks about, you know, river system is very similar to blood moving through your body. This idea of like, and I think your why statement at GLOW encapsulates that so beautifully that self-care is protecting the planet because we're deeply connected to it. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you for that. Also, I love bees. So, I mean, I love so many <laughs> creatures, but if I had to hone in, it's more bees, please. And so when I'm outdoors and on nature walk, taking pictures of bees with my camera, I always make sure it's on airplane mode. There were way more bees growing up than there are 
today Yes, that I'm noticing. Mm-hmm. So when I think of like one area I want to lean into, I really feel like the theme that keeps coming up over and over, and maybe that's a great practice is paying attention what comes to mind just naturally. And definitely the pollinators for me is a common theme that keeps coming up. So I'm going to lean into that a little bit. But well, oh yeah, I remember what made me think of this is that for our classes, you can download them when you're when you're you know at home or anywhere that you're connected to Wi-Fi, and then take the classes with you out into nature. So then you can practice without Wi-Fi on when you're on airplane mode. Those are some of our favorite messages to receive. We receive all kinds of beautiful feedback from folks, but when they include a picture or an experience where they were able to practice in nature, like we receive some really cool pictures of people on Easter Island or in Peru up wow. in the mountains somewhere. Like it's always just so cool to see like, wow, like we're reaching these cool places in the world and, and touching lives. And so we also have some classes that integrate nature walks and, and connecting with the earth. Actually, for each podcast, we highlight some of our GLOW classes to complement the episode. So I'll include some of those classes in the... Oh, that's such a wonderful idea. Yeah. I love that. I love this idea of the walking meditation outside and connecting with nature and doing Pilates or yoga or stretching, whatever class you want to do at GLOW outside and getting pictures from Peru is so cool. cool. That's at Easter Island. That's amazing. That's amazing. (laughs) Cool. Well, we end each conversation with um, self-care non-negotiables. So Mm -hmm. for you, what fills you up that you're able to show up for your family and, and your work and for our planet? Such a great question, Lisa. The first is meditation. It has helped me so much. It's probably obvious listening to me on the podcast. I'm a very type A, uh, energetic person. Uh, the, the word laid back is not something anyone would use to describe me. Meditation has helped me slow down, help my brain slow down, help me connect. And then making sure I spend some time outside every day, even if it's five minutes. I will say in Montana, when it's 40 below, it's a very brief <laughs> outside and I'll come back in. But those are the two things that I try to do. And then you know, obviously I try to do a one green thing each day. And it's fun because sometimes I plan it and sometimes I'm like, hmm, wonder what my one green thing will be. Oh, look at this cool thing. This is my one green thing. So sometimes I approach it as more of a discovery and other times I'm plan it the night before. Yeah. But those are those are the things that I do for self-care. Okay, that's beautiful. I mean, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but maybe you've noticed like me, like even a five minute meditation can change everything. It changes everything. Doesn't it changes everything? Full sixty yeah, minutes, you know <laughs> exactly. And that's that has been a challenge for me. I tend to be a very all or none mm. person in my thoughts, which is why writing the book was really good to you know for me to have to write down. Perfectionism is not the goal. You know, it's all about progress, even yeah. in the environment. But that's where just understanding a five minute walk makes you feel better. Movement. You know, is medicine, you know, five minute meditation does make a difference. I try to do longer than that. Sometimes I hit it. Sometimes I miss it, but also being self-compassionate, you know, I I think some people, when they start an exercise routine or like, well, if I don't have an hour, I shouldn't do it. Or, you know, I only worked out 30 minutes, so that doesn't really count. It all, it all counts. Yeah. Just like we're, just like (laughs) we're saying with the environment, you don't have to do everything or exactly count all the little things exactly matter. That's beautiful. So can you just share with folks um, where to find you and where to find your work and a little bit more too about your book when it will come out in the official title again? Oh, absolutely. Thank you, Lisa. So my book comes out next April 2022, right before Earth Day. And the title is One Green Thing 
discover your hidden power to help save the planet. And it's by mm-hmm. Harper Horizon, which is a imprint of Harper Collins. So I'm excited. It should be available for pre-order. And, and um, we'll probably in January have a big campaign then wow. for the book. Um, right. But you'll see like a provisional cover, but it's still fun because it's on Amazon and, and it's on um, the Indie Bound and all the other cool online places where you can purchase and pre-order the book. The organization that I run is called One Green Thing. And it's at onegreenthing.org and at onegreenthing on Instagram and Twitter. Then I have my own personal author page, which is Heather White Official on Facebook and Heather White Official on Instagram and Heather White OFC on Twitter. And are you still actively doing consulting and different I projects? I am, yes. At heatherwhite.com is my, is my personal address where I have my consulting firm, Heather White Strategies, where I work with businesses, nonprofits, and foundations to help create a greener, healthier, more equitable world. So everything from strategic planning to fundraising to project development um, to general business consulting, I do it all. (laughs) Well, I have to say, I so appreciate your enthusiasm, your hopefulness, your heart, you help make some heavy stuff feel really hopeful and doable. And Thank you, Lisa. Yeah, I really appreciate your spirit. And I'm so excited about the book. It would be so great to have you come on next Earth Day and love it. share more about it. And I'm sure we'll have updates in terms of what's sure. going on in the world and, you know, the current whatever happens, you know, with the Paris Agreement. So why don't we why don't we do that? That would be wonderful. Sounds great. Okay, Sounds super. great. Thank you so much, Lisa, for the opportunity and all that you do to help people take care of themselves and take oh, care of the planet and to you. just try to be the best version of who they can be. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you to our entire team behind the scenes at GLOW. I'm so grateful for your care and commitment to serving our members around the world. Thank you to our teachers for so beautifully sharing your gifts and talents. I'm also grateful to our lovely community of GLOW members. You've supported us since 2008, and because of you, we get to continue to do the work we love. It's the combined support of our team, our teachers, and our community that grants me the privilege to continue to bring you the GLOW podcast. Thank you to Lee Schneider, Red Cub Agency, for production support. And the beautiful music you're hearing now is by Carrie Rodriguez and her husband, Luke Jacobs. And remember, take care of yourself because our world needs you. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. You can find the Glow Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or glo.com slash podcast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Derek Mills.